This morning we are celebrating Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey with the crowds shouting, Hosanna, son of David. And of course they hailed Jesus as a king and started Holy Week. And by the end of the week, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. And we've been journeying to the cross through the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, the text before us is Mark's account of the crucifixion. And I think it'll be an opportunity for us to meditate on the cross in preparation for Good Friday. I'd like to take a different approach to this sermon this morning. Um, I know that uh, you're used to getting three points. And therefore, when I have only two points, you're a little surprised. And so you might be shocked when I say that this morning's sermon will have no points. I need to explain. <laughs> My basic approach to sermons is expository preaching, which is uh, having the, the content and shape of the sermon follow the biblical text. It's a conviction of mine that when we come to church, we most need to hear God's word and God's voice, not my opinions. And so I'm always trying to be as faithful as I possibly can be to the biblical text. If you look at our sermon this morning, you'll notice that it's a narrative. And this morning, I'd like to take a more narrative approach to the sermon, which means that I'd like to tell you the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And I want to do it from the standpoint of the centurion, who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus from start to finish and made a profession of faith at the end. I invite you to follow along with the biblical text, which is printed in the bulletin, or perhaps better, just listen as I tell the story. When I move to the pulpit, I will take off my hat as Pastor Dan and step into the shoes of the Roman centurion who oversaw Jesus' crucifixion. And I just want to say a disclaimer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization. I'm a pastor trying to be faithful to the biblical text. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we meditate this morning on the cross of Christ and what he did, would you illumine our hearts and minds? For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin by introducing myself. I'm a Roman centurion. Can't tell from the way I'm dressed because I'm out of uniform and wearing civilian clothes, but I'm a Roman centurion. I enlisted in the Roman army as a young man and worked my way up to where I am now, centurion in charge of 100 soldiers. I'm what you would call a career military man. My job is to drill my men, inspect their arms and supplies, and command them in the field. But that's aside from the point. You're probably wondering what brings me to church this morning. I'm not what most people would consider a religious person. I'm a soldier. I've seen the rougher side of life. I have blood on my hands from battle. I've done too many sinful things for most people to think that I'm good church material. But I'm here for one reason, and it's not a reason that I'm particularly proud about. In fact, some would consider it a stigma that will mark me for the rest of my life. I'm the centurion who is in charge of putting the one they call Jesus of Nazareth to death. Jesus stirred up a lot of controversy among the Jews in Judea. Some thought he was the promised king, the Messiah, because he did miracles and taught very powerfully. This Jesus developed a small following of disciples. But most of the Jewish leaders hated him and wanted him killed. And that job in the end fell to me. 
I'm the one who was directed to make sure that he died, and so I saw it all. I was the one directed to oversee the crucifixion. I stood watch for nine hours that he was on the cross to make sure that he died. But just so you know, I wasn't the one who wanted Jesus crucified. It was the Jewish leaders who convinced Pilate and the other Roman officials that Jesus should die. I was the one who was just carrying out orders from the top. That was part of my job. If the commander told me to execute a man, it was a grisly job, but I had to do it. It was part of my job responsibilities. So that's what brings me here. People want to hear how he died. They want to hear what Jesus' last moments were like from someone who was there. I don't blame you. It's something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. It was quite an experience. And I'm surprised by the impact it's had on me. By the time Jesus was handed over to me and my men to be crucified, he was already in bad shape. He'd been flogged by some of the other Roman soldiers. And if you know anything about flogging, you'll know the suffering that this man endured. It was a particularly cruel punishment. The victim would be stripped and bound to a post. And then soldiers would take a leather whip that had bits of bone and metal tied into the end of the whip. And with this whip, they would flog the bare back of the victim. And the bits of bone and metal would dig into the skin of the victim, ripping it back like you'd peel an orange. Often as the flogging went along, the victim's back was turned into ribbons of bleeding flesh. And sometimes even the bones and inner organs would be exposed. You can imagine the blood that flowed and the screams that came from the victim. It was such a grisly and terrible punishment that women were not allowed to be scourged or even to witness a scourging. Even some of my soldiers would faint just watching. We were commanded to flog victims who were to be crucified because this would weaken them so they wouldn't, we wouldn't have to wait so long for them to die up on the cross. But sometimes the flogging would be so brutal that the victim wouldn't even survive the flogging. They would die right there at the post. Jesus survived his flogging. But as you can imagine, he was weak and covered in his own blood when we got him. We led him to the barracks of the governor's palace where the elite soldiers were housed to get Jesus ready for crucifixion. Soldiers who were there all came out to see this political insurrectionist who named Jesus, who was called the King of the Jews. And I guess they were in the mood to enjoy a little sport at his expense, and I wasn't in the mood to stop them because I knew next to nothing about this man. You have to understand that the life of a soldier happens in a rough and vulgar world. And I figured that if Jesus was really an enemy of the Roman state and deserved to be crucified, a little mocking wouldn't hurt. Plus, this guy was such an easy target. If he really was the king of the Jews, he hardly looked at it, looked like it, in his weak and vulnerable state. My men mocked Jesus, just like the bully who picks on the littlest kid. They put a purple robe on him, or maybe it was a shabby purple rug, I can't remember, because purple is the color of royalty. Some of the men made a mock crown out of thorns and put it on his head. They began to humiliate him, pretending that he was really a king. They began to salute him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, because that's the way we greet Caesar. Hail, Caesar. They took a staff made out of a reed, which was like a bamboo rod. 
And they began to strike him on the head, and soldiers began to spit on him one by one. Some of my men even got down on their knees and pretended to pay homage to him. It was cruel and humiliating, and I admit it got a little out of hand. Maybe I should have stopped it, but I didn't. I began thinking to myself that no human deserves to be treated like this, even if they've done terrible things. And I hadn't really heard that Jesus had done terrible things other than some fights over religious issues that the Jewish leaders uh, had that I didn't really understand. The strangest thing was, despite all the mocking, Jesus didn't protest. He didn't beg for mercy. He didn't lash back. He was silent. That's when the thought popped into my head, what if Jesus really is a king? What if he is who he says he is? What if all our mocking words are the truth? But then I remember snapping back to reality and saying to myself that it couldn't be. There's no possible way that this pitiable, pitiable weak man could be a king because we were about to crucify him. And so it was back to business. I gathered my execution squad of four soldiers we put Jesus' own clothes back on him and led him out to the place where we would crucify him. I know crucifixion sounds pretty cruel and barbaric to your ears, but every dictatorship needs a way to strike terror into evildoers and enemies of the state, to keep control, to preserve its power, and crucifixion was the chosen method of my government. It was a violent, bloody method for a violent, bloody time. When Spartacus led an uprising, of the slaves against Rome a number of years ago, and it was crushed. Crassus had 6,000 slaves crucified along the road to Rome as a deterrent for criminals and enemies of the Roman state. That's why we would carry out crucifixions in public places. It was an intimidation tactic so that as many people as possible would see it and be warned of what happens when you oppose the Roman government. And once you've seen a crucifixion, You'll never forget it. The suffering is so horrible that the sights and sounds will be forever etched in your mind. Our own Cicero said that crucifixion was the most cruel and horrifying punishment. We made Jesus carry the cross beam of his own cross on the way to his crucifixion and made a public procession out of it as an example of what happens to enemies of Rome. Jesus was bleeding and stumbling so badly at this point that after a couple hundred yards, we knew he was never going to make it to the crucifixion site. We had power as soldiers of Rome to commandeer regular citizens to help us with manual labor. There was a man passing by, and so we forced him to carry Jesus' cross for him. This man looked and spoke like he was from North Africa, and later I learned his name was Simon. And supposedly his sons, Alexander and Rufus, later became Christians and joined the church. Maybe seeing their father carrying Jesus' cross had something to do with it. When we got to the place called Golgotha, which means the skull, outside the city limits where Jesus was going to be crucified, there were some women from Jerusalem who had mercy on Jesus and offered him wine mixed with myrrh. This combination was a kind of narcotic in our day and was meant to help dull pain, but Jesus didn't accept it, and I don't know why, because without it, you stay conscious to the very end, and you feel every bit of the pain. If I were him, I would have taken it, 
we continued doing what we had to do. We stripped him of his clothes, and my soldiers gambled to see who would get what. Victims of crucifixion were always crucified naked to add to their shame. We drove nails into his wrists so that he would be attached to the crossbar. While he was hanging from the crossbar by his arms, we lifted up that crossbar and attached it to an upright stake that had already been driven into the ground. We took his feet, placed them one on top of the other, and drove a nail through it right into the upright stake. It was about 9 a.m. in the morning when we finished our work, and Jesus was hanging on the cross high enough for everyone passing by to see. And then it was just a matter of time for him to die. It was an awful business seeing a man suffer like this. Since you haven't seen a crucifixion, you may not understand exactly what happens. A crucified man doesn't die from bleeding. He dies from exhaustion and pain and suffocation. Because when you're hanging by your arms, after a while you have difficulty breathing. In order to breathe, you have to push yourself up with your feet to take the weight off your arms. But when you push up on your feet, which are nailed to the stake, a stabbing pain runs right through your legs and body. And this causes the victim to slump down again and have difficulty breathing. And so eventually the victim suffocates, too exhausted and too much pain to try to keep breathing. And that's what I watched Jesus go through. I have to admit, whoever thought crucifixion up must have a pretty twisted mind. It must be one of the most brutal and callous ways that has ever been conceived of putting a man to death. I think you have the word excruciating that stems from our concept of crucifixion. It literally means out of the cross. And you use it to refer to intense pain and unbearable suffering and extreme torture. Because that's what crucifixion is. A way to inflict excruciating pain and suffering. The physical suffering was terrible, but it's possible that the shame was worse, especially in a shame and honor culture like mine. To be publicly shamed is a fate worse than death. And Jesus was the object of mocking to the very end. We nail a sign up on the cross which read the King of the Jews, indicating the charge against him. Everyone who shook saw it shook their head in disbelief. How could a man who was being crucified as a common criminal, possibly be a king? How could a man dying in such shame and agony possibly be the Messiah? It seemed like an absurd thought. And everyone heaped ridicule on Jesus. Some who passed by had heard that he was going to destroy the Jerusalem temple and rebuild it in three days, and they mocked Jesus with his own words. They said, if you can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days then you should prove it by coming down from the cross and saving yourself. Jesus was an easy target, and so helpless hanging on the cross. Everyone seemed to get in on the act of mocking him. Of course, the Jewish leaders joined in. From their faces and their words, I could tell they absolutely hated Jesus. They sneered. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see and believe. And so they verbally abused him. I could understand what they were saying. If Jesus really was a king, this would have been an awfully good time for him to display his power. If Jesus really was the Messiah, how could he save other people if he couldn't even save himself? But Jesus said nothing. He didn't defend himself. 
He didn't even curse out these mockers. He was silent and just took all this verbal abuse. Perhaps the worst insults came from the two criminals who were crucified on either side of him. Even they made fun of Jesus. If you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and us? In my military career, I've seen many men crucified. But I've never seen anyone on the cross like Jesus. Most men scream in agony. They scream in anger. They curse and shout the worst filth you can imagine. But I was amazed. Jesus didn't do any of that. He suffered in silence. Not out of spite, but almost as if he had a higher purpose for his suffering. There's something else strange that happened, which I didn't quite understand at the time. After Jesus had been on the cross for three hours, the victim of all this mocking and ridicule, a darkness came over the whole area. From noon until 3 p.m., right in the middle of the day, darkness descended on the whole area. Of course, I was alarmed and on edge. I knew this was not a solar eclipse. It was definitely some kind of supernatural occurrence. The darkness was strange and eerie. My friends who know tell me that darkness is a mark of God's judgment and that in Jewish history, one of the ten plagues of judgment against the Egyptians and the Pharaoh was a darkness that came over the land. And I don't know much about that, but that's how it felt. It felt like the frown of God's judgment was coming down on Jesus and that even God himself was abandoning Jesus on the cross. Again, I've seen many crucifixions, but I've never experienced the strange darkness during Jesus' crucifixion. Many strange things kept happening. After three hours of darkness, Jesus finally did cry out something in Aramaic. They were the first words I heard from Jesus, and someone translated that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so to me, it seemed that even Jesus felt like God was forsaking him. And if I were him, I would have felt the same way. I've seen a lot of people go through a lot less and feel abandoned by God. What a God-awful place to be. Crucified on a cross. Rejected by everyone. And then rejected by God himself. Some people thought that Jesus was crying out to Elijah. Because apparently the words in Aramaic for my, my, my God, my God, are similar to Elijah's name. And so some people thought that Jesus in that moment was calling out to the great prophet Elijah. Apparently, Jews believed that Elijah could be called upon in great trouble and that he would appear from heaven to help. That explains why someone ran and got some cheap wine, filled a sponge with it, and lifted it up on a stick to give Jesus a drink. I guess they were trying to help Jesus hang on a little bit longer in case Elijah could come and rescue him. It didn't do much good because shortly afterward, Jesus breathed his last breath. I've seen men last a long time up on the cross, and we have to break their legs to hasten death. But we didn't have to do that with Jesus. He died before sundown. And there's something else I can tell you about his death. I've told you about his silence on the cross when most men are screaming in agony and anger. I've told you about the strange three-hour darkness that descended on the area. The other thing I remember is Jesus' strength up to the very end. Most men suffer from complete exhaustion by the end, and they slip into unconsciousness before they die. 
but not Jesus. He died with a loud cry, which told me that he had strength up to the very end. He died like no one else I've seen on a cross. It's almost like crucifixion didn't take his life, he gave his life. When I saw how he died, I remember saying, surely this man was the Son of God. Because in that moment, I realized that to fully understand who Jesus is, you must consider his death. And I wouldn't say that about anyone else. Everyone else you know best by looking at their life, not their death. And I've heard that Jesus lived a remarkable life. Everyone talks about his teaching and the miracles. But I want to tell you he died an equally remarkable death, unlike anything I've ever seen. To fully understand who Jesus is, you must consider his death. I know I'm an outsider to all this. I'm what the Jews derogatorily call a Gentile pagan. I don't have any religious education. I've never heard Jesus teach or seen him do a miracle before he was handed over to me to be crucified. I'm a soldier, a military man, and all I can tell you is what I saw and experienced the day Jesus died. And that convinced me that he really is the Son of God. As I watched Jesus die, I did ponder why. If he really is the Son of God, if he really is the King of Israel, if he really is the Messiah, what is he doing up on that cross? Where were his followers? Where were his friends? Why did they all desert him? And why didn't God rescue him? I could picture how it could have happened if God came down with a legion of angels and rescued Jesus from the cross in a blaze of glory. A lot of people might have become believers in Jesus that day. But nothing like that happened. Jesus died on a cross abandoned by everyone. There's one more thing that happened when Jesus died that helps me understand now. It was also supernatural. Like the three-hour darkness in the middle of the day. When Jesus died, they say the curtain in the Jerusalem temple was torn from the top to the bottom. I'm not a Jew, so I don't understand all this. But in the temple, there is a thick curtain 80 feet high that separates the holy place from the most holy place where God's presence dwelled and where the high priest could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when Jesus died, that massive curtain was torn in two. The way it happened. An 80-foot high thick curtain tearing from top to bottom was supernatural. No one could have ripped it that way. Just as the darkness was a symbol of God's judgment, I've come to see that the tearing of the curtain at Jesus' death was also a symbol. That in his death, Jesus was tearing down the veil between God and humans. He was opening a new and living way to God that didn't require the Jerusalem temple. We can have access to God, not through religious sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, but through the death of Jesus as the perfect atonement for our sins. Now I get why the Jewish leaders were so against Jesus. He was putting them out of a job. Hanging on a cross, Jesus looked like the biggest failure in the world. But alone on the cross, I caught a glimpse of something so much deeper, that he is the Son of God. I know it's a paradox, 
the Son of God dying such a shameful death, the King being willing to suffer such excruciating pain and weakness, the Messiah not saving himself. But I've come to see that Jesus had to die on the cross to bring us to God. The only way he could save us is by not saving himself. His death, which many would consider a great failure, was actually his greatest victory. And so I keep coming back to this. To fully understand who Jesus is, you must consider his death. I heard when Jesus was alive, he didn't want people to spread the word about him after his miracles because he didn't want to be seen as just another miracle worker. I think he wanted people to see his death before they tried to figure out who he was. I've always known the cross, which you have here standing behind me, as a symbol of shame and excruciating pain and execution. And that's what we Romans created the cross for. But when Jesus died on the cross, it transformed the cross for me. Now I look at the cross, and I remember the way Jesus died and the suffering that he endured as the Son of God to bring me to God. I'm a Gentile pagan. I know I'm not a good man. I put many men to death. I have a lot of blood on my hands. I've done many things I regret. I'm the one who ordered the soldiers to drive the nails into Jesus' hands and his feet. And so I know if Jesus died even for me, there's hope for anyone. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, into this world to die on a cross in our place for our sins. Help us to understand what Jesus has done for us in such a way that we also experience the forgiveness and the hope and the love and the courage that flows into our lives from the cross. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.